Just like John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John is still talking about love. He seemed to be the apostle of love. He has so much love in him. The Bible calls him the apostle, the, one, the disciple that Jesus loved. He was the only person who could ask Jesus a question. And when they are bothered and they want to know the, the depth of what Jesus has said, they will go to him, go and ask, go and ask him. You know, it's not everybody who may be closer to you. John was sort of the closest. He could lean on the breast of Jesus, on the, on the chest of Jesus, and say, Master, tell me, tell me, who is the one going to betray you? Then Jesus actually said, the one that I dip, you know, the, the foot into the, the wine and give, he is the one. Nobody knew, but Jesus told John. So John knew that it was Judas. Lo and behold, when he gave the food to Judas, Judas left. The Bible says, Satan entered his heart. And he betrayed Jesus. You will not be a betrayer in the name of Jesus Christ. First John 3.16 is telling another story. I'm talking about we must not fail Jesus. Can you tell your neighbor once again, we must not fail Jesus? First John 3.16 says, By this we know love. How do we know love? Because he laid down his life for us. Because he laid down his life for us, full stop. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Somebody say amen. Say by this we know love. How do we know love? Because he laid down his life for us. Jesus laid down his life for us. Wow. What does that mean? And then he's telling us that, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, if you have become a member of the body of Christ, you are a brother of Jesus. Hallelujah. Do you know that? The Bible calls him in Romans chapter 8, the firstborn amongst many brethren. How do you feel when you know that Jesus Christ is your senior brother? Think about it. It depends on how you relate with Jesus. Sometimes you may relate with him. Yes, of course, he is our savior. He is our Lord. He is our high priest. He is our advocate. He is the friend that stays closer than a brother. And then he is also our senior brother. Think about it. Jesus, my senior brother. He is the firstborn. The first to be born from spiritual death. Amongst many brethren. So he says, because he laid down his life for us, we also ought. It's a must. To, when we say something ought to be done, it's a must. Say it's a must. That I lay down my life for the brethren. Listen, child of God, you have never begun living until your life begins to make an impact in the lives of others. When I say IPR family, we are going places, the idiomatic expression we are going places simply means you will be a success. And true success is when your life begins to make an impact in someone else's life. You are not a success yet until through you, somebody 
begins to feel that, wow, God loves me too. Through you, somebody has a sense of well-being, a sense of meaning, a sense of direction, and gets himself. And above all, through you, somebody comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You are not a success yet. Hallelujah. If your life doesn't reach that far, he says, because he laid down his life for us, he, he, he mandates us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. People of God, the greatest sacrifice has already been done. Jesus Christ paid this, the greatest sacrifice. Do you know the greatest sacrifice? Do you know when, what the Bible means when it says he laid down his life for us? Can I tell you? This was Jesus in Gethsemane. Think about it. Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. There was a battle going on in his soul. He could have said, Father, I have come this far. But at this point, I changed my mind. And do you know, if Jesus changed his mind, it would never have been seen. Because it was out of his own volition. It was his own personal will to lay down his life for us. So if he changed his mind somewhere along the line, it would never have been seen. God would have said, no problem. Except that all the human personalities I wanted you to save would have gone into the everlasting fire. Listen, you and I would have perished and suffered in the everlasting fire if not for Jesus. So what God did was that in Gethsemane, Jesus Christ had the greatest battle. The greatest battle was not on the cross. It was in Gethsemane. That was a point of decision. Jesus needed to take the greatest decision whether to lay down his life for us or to take his own life into his hands and leave. He would have lived and he would have been the only begotten son of God or remain the only begotten son of God. Remember, he was born the only begotten son of God. But when he died and rose again, he became the firstborn amongst many brethren. So he would have remained the only father. Can you imagine? The only son in his father's kingdom. You just imagine when you are there the, the only son of the wealthiest king in the whole universe and you don't have any brother. How will you enjoy that home? Everything is available, but you don't have a brother. You don't have a sister. You feel lonely. So God in his own love decided that, look, instead of letting, quote unquote, these scraps, I call us scraps. We were scraps. I hope you know scraps. Unwanted metal you know, materials that were supposed to have been bent into ashes. We should have gone into the everlasting fire if not for Jesus. We should. Why should we have gone there? Because we inherited the sin nature in Adam. When Adam listened to the voice of the serpent, not only did he lose his authority over the earth, he also inherited the sin nature, the rebellious nature. And that nature makes one look on the inside what the leper looks on the outside. Did you hear that? The nature of sin. Sometimes we believe that, oh, I'm not a sinner. I don't drink alcohol. I don't chase any woman. I don't stay, I mean, go after people's husbands. I don't stay in the corner somewhere as a prostitute. So I'm not a sinner. No. A sinner is not one who steals tells lies, fornicates, or whatever primarily. A sinner is primarily the one whose sin nature has not been washed away. And when Adam sinned against God, listen, he inherited that nature because you inherit the nature of the one whose voice you listen to and obey. Can I say that again? You inherit the nature 
of the one whose voice you listen to and obey. So when Adam listened to the voice of the serpent, Adam didn't know, hey, that he was getting a transference of the rebellious nature. Lucifer had already rebelled in heaven some millions of years before Adam. And so when he listened to that voice, that it was a deceptive voice, he got that nature into his spirit. And with that nature, the Bible says he passed it through his seed to all his descendants. So the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not because we did wrong, but because we were born that way. Just like your genes, your genetic makeup, the way you look. You were born that way. Some of us look like our parents. Because we were born that way, we inherited our nature. But it's not a physical gene, it's a spiritual gene. And there is no detergent that could wash away that nature. You, you don't use Ariel to wash that nature. You don't use Yas to wash that nature. You don't use So Clean to wash that nature. You don't use Omo to wash that nature. If you try Parazone, it will not work. If you try Parazone, it will not work. If you go and use Akashia, say, Akashia, let me just rub it. It will not work. Hallelujah. So man was hopeless without a savior. And that nature we inherited is not countenance in our kingdom. I'm talking about God's kingdom. With that nature, you stay outside of God's kingdom. Just like in Israel, a leper was made to stay outside of the city. If you have that nature, you are not permitted. That's why Jesus looked at Nicodemus. It doesn't matter how great you are in society. He told Nicodemus in the face, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless that nature of sin is washed away. And what could wash away? The Bible says that... Without shedding of blood, there is no washing away. There is no remission. There is no removal of sin. So without blood, that sin nature could not be washed away. So how was man going to receive remission or removal or washing away of sins? I hope you know sometimes you have a white material like the characters are wearing. And let's say there is a, a blue ink that stains your white. There is a possibility of removing this blue ink from the white with a particular detergent. Is that right? A reagent, we call it reagent. I think in science they say you can even use milk to remove blue stain or ink from a white material. But this nature I'm talking about, it is like the leper on the outside. Once we inherited it on the inside, there was nothing that could wash away that nature, brother. We were hopeless. You may look nice on the outside, but when God looks at you, he says, hmm, you smell. Why? Because on the inside, you are like the leper on the outside. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So when he looks at you, he knows the true you. He knows those who are his own. Hallelujah. What am I talking about? When Jesus was in Gethsemane, there was a battle. The battle was for Jesus to drink into his spirit. This sin nature I'm talking about. This was the greatest test of all. It was the greatest battle in his soul. He cried out and said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass over me. Look, I don't know how you, it will look like when they fetch, you are, you are looking at, you know, let's say septic tank. You call it septic tank? Where toilet facilities, you know, and then you use kuraba. You know kuraba? How do you call it in English? Hmm? Chamber port. Use kuraba to fetch you know, rotten, smelling poo-poo from the, from the septic tank and then they bring it to you and say, brother, drink this. If you don't drink this, you, you ain't going nowhere. 
I want to ask, will anybody try it? You won't drink it? Oh, are you sure you can't try it? You can try it. Maybe you can close your nostrils and try it. You go, oh, it will go. Can I say this? That what Jesus Christ was going to drink into his spirit was worse than what I'm describing. This was a man who was born without sin. The Bible says he was in all points tempted like us we are, yet without sin. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for the first time, the Bible says God has made him to be sin for us. He didn't become a sinner. He became sin for us. Who knew no sin? How? When he drank the cup that he was talking about, that was the first time that this man carried the sin nature. That is why he could die. He would never have died physically if not for the sin nature. He could, they couldn't have killed him. I'm telling you, this man, you could never have killed him. But when he carried the sin nature, that made him diable. So when he died, to prove that indeed something serious was happening, he didn't go to heaven, he descended to hell. He went to hell in my name and in your name so that nobody goes to hell again. Listen, it is not automatic that everybody must go to hell. It's a choice. After you have believed that somebody went to hell in your name and you believe that gospel, don't go to hell because somebody already went there. Anytime I say that I don't want to go to hell or I will not go to hell, I have a simple reason. The reason is that somebody already went there in my name. So why should I go there? Why should you pay this price when somebody has already paid the greatest price? He said, Father, it is, if it is possible, let this cup pass over me. This was the second time. The first time he went to the disciples, they were asleep. I would say they were, they were deep in sleep. Hmm. Will Jesus Christ find you awake when he needs you most? All of them were asleep. They had fallen dead in sleep. So he went back and prayed a second time. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass over me. But not as I will, but let your will be done. The third time when he prayed, he said, Father, if this cup will not pass over me, let your will be done. This was the greatest decision that changed the course of human history. When he said, let your will be done, the father allowed him. That is why from there, he never spoke again. As a lamb led to the slaughter, he didn't open his mouth. Whatever you do, you just do it. But I know I'm going to close my eyes and close my nostrils. Spiritual eyes and spiritual nostrils and drink into my spirit. The sin nature. So God made him to be sin for us. He carried my sins away. He carried my sorrows away. He died on the cross <laughs> to save my soul. He carried my sins away. One more time, we say, He carried my sins away. Jesus carried my sorrows away. He carried my sorrows away. He died on the cross. He died on the cross to save my soul. He carried. was what I mean that is what the Bible meant by he laid down his life he laid down his life so that it will be possible for the sin nature to be healed from the first Adam to the last but one Adam who is not yet born he carried all of us our sins the Bible says he offered himself through the eternal spirit meaning that everything he did was for eternal generations from eternity past through eternity future he died as a last Adam and he was raised as the new man the second man the brand new man. The new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
But before then, he died as the last Adam. And every sin from the first Adam to the last but one Adam who, was not yet, who is not yet born, he carried our sins. He bore in his body the punishment for our sins. As if that was not enough, he died our death and went to hell. And listen, because his blood didn't know sin. Can you tell somebody, Jesus' blood was not stained with sin. This was the powerful detergent. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And animal blood could not wash away the sin of man because how can you use animal to substitute for man? Does it work? It is man for man, angel for angel, animal for animal. That is why the blood of animals under the old covenant could not wash away sins. It could only cover their sins for one year. And after one year, the Bible said there was rehearsal of sins. But this was the blood. That eternal blood that he has presented on the holy altar in heaven. The tabernacle in heaven. That is speaking better things than that of Abel. That blood that was efficacious to wash away the sin nature. So for three days and for three nights, when he was battling with all the hosts of hell, the Bible tells us in Colossians that he disarmed principalities and powers. Do you know what that means? When he fully paid the price for our sins, it became necessary that, hey, Satan, you don't you have no, no power over me any longer. He took the keys of death and took the keys of hell and put his foot on the neck of Satan and said, all of you, I grabbed the key and went to Hades where all the righteous dead, including Adam, had been kept. They were all in prison. Nobody went to heaven. He went and opened all of them. He said, oh yeah, let's go. He carried, the Bible says he carried, he, he led captivity captive. And when he rose from the dead, all of them rose. The Bible says they were saints walking in the streets of Jerusalem. They saw David, they saw Abraham. And when he ascended, he ascended with them. Oh, what a savior. I said, what a savior. There's a song in the Methodist hymn. The last line says, Hallelujah, what a savior. I like it. He is my savior because he saved me from my sins. He died my death. He went to hell in my name. He laid down his life for me. Listen. Jesus has paid the ultimate price. That is the greatest price. He carried our sin. He laid down his life. We are not going to die for anybody. But he is telling us that now that you are sons and daughters of this God, Jesus Christ, if he did this for you and me, if he laid down his life, this is love. The Bible says, here, here we know love. Hereby we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If you want to know love, the Bible says in John 15, 33, it says, greater love has no man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. Are you going to die again? No. But you are going to see the need that if Jesus Christ has provided the greatest detergent, the greatest reagent, whatever you can call it, to wash away the sin nature, then I will pay any price to make sure that it's not about black man or white man. It's not about male or female. It's not about, about boy or girl. It's not about educated or uneducated. It's not about, it's not about tribe. Or, you know, some people practice nepotism. That is, you know, they hate a particular nationality. And some people also practice tribalism. They hate a particular tribe. But when you look at a human being, you look at a soul who shall not perish. Are you there? I said, when you look at a human being, what are you looking at? A soul 
who should not perish. If it was left without soul alone here on earth, Jesus would still have shed his blood. So if he laid down his life for that person, then I also ought to go the extra mile to make sure that in this end time, I will spare one another on. We will spare one another on and carry ourselves so that when Jesus Christ shall come, none of us shall be left behind because he's coming back. I said he's what? He's coming back. One of these days, the trumpet shall sound, the first trumpet, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain, the Bible says we shall be changed. And together with those who rose first, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And the Bible says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We are just about leaving this earth. Yes, we will come back with Jesus and reign with him for a thousand years. But until then, this is called present evil world, according to Galatians 1.4. We don't belong here. Go the extra mile. Tell your neighbor, go the extra mile. Because Jesus Christ went the extra mile. He could have just forgotten about us and decided that I'm not going to drink this cup. Enough is enough. Especially when they had beaten him, spat on him. He received 39 minus 1. He was supposed to have received the 40 lashes. That was the highest punishment for a notorious rebel. And it is believed that by the time you receive the 40th lash, I'm telling you, you will fall down, fainted, dead. So to just give you mercy, this was their mercy, at least let's spare him the 40th one. So he got 39 lashes. Not just an ordinary whip. They did everything. He could have said, enough is enough. Father, I'm not going to the cross again. But he laid down his life for me. He laid down his life for you and me. He says we ought to do the same. Tell your neighbor, we ought to do the same. I like this song. You know, we sing it wrongly. The tree says, Listen. Yeah. And the English says, We just ought, it's we just, but people sing it, We just want to, we just want to. You want to do what? We just ought to thank, we ought to thank you, Lord. We ought to thank you. We just, it's a must. We have no beginning about that. We just ought to thank you this afternoon. We just, we just ought to thank you, Lord. We ought to thank you. We just ought to thank you. Thank you. Listen, listen. When I say we must not fail Jesus, I'm trying to say that the man did the best. So what price can you pay that will be more than the best? If he laid down his life, he's expecting you and me to lay down our lives. Listen, he didn't say for sinners. He laid down his life for the whole world of sinners. But even if you can't, if you can't go the extra mile to, to as it were, you know, touch that sinner with a message, do it for the brother or sister around you. Charity begins at home. And as we do it collectively, one day, together, we will reach out to the lost world of sin. I mean, uh, of sinners. People are lost out there. Listen, they look nice. They have great projects, great ambitions. They, they are doing good works. But our good works will not save us. It will only be rewarded. But until your good works are rewarded, you must have entry into the kingdom. And it is salvation first. Your salvation becomes the key that opens the door for you to enter. 
And once you enter, then your good works will follow you and your good works will be rewarded. So there are those out there who believe that, oh, but me, I've built schools. I have given scholarship. I'm helping people. Next week, Sunday, by the grace of God, the Lord gave me a message. He said, preach on what you can title, don't be a signboard. Tell your neighbor, don't be a signboard. Don't miss that message next week, by the grace of God. There will be no hot weather around, so you can take your time and enjoy the message. Hallelujah. Don't be a signboard. I'll be preaching on that next week, by the grace of God. But there are those out there who believe that I have done all these good works. How can God take me to hell? It's not possible. That's your mind. Unless that signature is washed away, you cannot see the kingdom of God. God wants us to go the extra mile to tell this good news. Let's spare one another on and let this message reach the ends of the earth because it is not the wish of God that any shall perish but that all shall come to repentance. God never created anybody that said these are going to hell, these are going to heaven. There's nothing like some people are predestined to heaven and people are predestined to hell. Never. Predestination has to do with God's foreknowledge. Romans 8 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. And whom he predestined, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. What does that mean? It is God's foreknowledge. He foreknew us in Christ and predestined us in Christ that anybody who believes that this man carried his sin or her sin, died his death and rose again, if he believes, then he becomes a new creation. That's the predestination. So it's not like some people are predestined for hell and some people are predestined for he heaven. Don't say that, oh, these people, ah, whether you like it or they will go to hell. There is nothing like that. I, I beg to differ. Maybe you have that theology, but I have not found that in scripture. Other than that, scripture wouldn't have told us that it is not the wish of God that any shall perish. For instance, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for those who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Then he said, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God will have, the will of God is that all men be saved. That's God's will. So how do you make it your will that some people will save, some people will go to hell. There is nothing like that. Predestination is not about human being, it's about God's foreknowledge. He has predestined us in his foreknowledge that one day we shall be brothers of Jesus. I like it when Jesus Christ is my senior brother, hallelujah. That he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. I want to invite you, people of God, let's move the extra mile not to fail Jesus. That is why I touched my message, we must not fail Jesus. IPR is not just a church. There is a passion. There is a desire. There is a strong yearning to see to it that if it's just one soul that would just be ransomed from the grips of Satan and made ready for Jesus, we will pay the price. Hallelujah. And I'm inviting you. You may not be a member of IPR. Certainly, this is a very small house by all standards comparing with other houses. But I believe that whether here or outside there, we can closely associate our vision and our mission together to ensure that none perishes and all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And there will be a reward. For the Bible says, whenever a soul is saved, there is joy in the presence of his angels. Make it your determination that wherever you are, whether you are a military man, a politician, a career worker, wherever you are, become an avenue of expressing the gospel. If it's even your marriage, use your marriage to communicate the gospel. If it's your lifestyle, communicate the gospel with it. 
and that is how all of us will live having not failed Jesus and when he shall come we shall not be ashamed lift your hands as you are sitting sitting down I don't know who I've spoken to I believe some people are here for the first time and probably they don't know Jesus they have never believed the gospel they have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. They have never believed that Jesus Christ did all those things for them. But if you are here and you have believed this gospel this afternoon, I would want you to stand to your feet. All of us have our hands lifted, but you stand to your feet apart from the usher, so I will know that this is your day. This is your day. This is your day. All right. That is to say that all of us here are saved. We are born again. What a wonderful confession. What a wonderful association. Then, if that is the case, then we, together, you and me, you and I, we must not fail Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, okay, we must not. I will not be able to do it alone, but we, together, Bible says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. We must not fail Jesus. Put your hands together to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 I don't know why Jesus loves me. I don't know why. I don't know why. He Oh!